The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. At my signal, unleash hell. Welcome. Happy Monday. You're listening to News Talk Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom-loving news talk. Awesomeness. God's instrument of wrath. Carpet bombing the airwaves with truth. And yes, awesomeness. Our sponsor, Blue Harbor Financial, is... uh, well, in no small measure, responsible for why I'm able to do what I do on this show. Jeff McGilvery is our financial planning and insurance expert. He's my personal uh, financial planning expert. And I go to him for whatever advice I need. Make him your guy. He's my guy. He's also our sponsor. Go to askjeff.ca. You need some help with your financial planning, your insurance planning. Go to askjeff.ca. Hope you had a great Easter weekend. It is a time when even Justin Trudeau pretends to be a Christian. That's right. But apparently nobody told Jugmeet Singh that it was Easter on the weekend. It came out with this tweet. Happy Sunday. Hope everyone is enjoying the long weekend. Well, did you know why it was a long weekend, Jugmeet? Because Christians celebrate Good Friday and Easter for a reason. Yeah, I mean, he'll trip all over himself tweeting about Ramadan, but Easter, eh, it's just another long weekend for Jugmeat. But you know, at least he doesn't pretend to be a Christian like Justin Trudeau does. This tweet by Glenn McGregor over at CTV, who apparently doesn't get any leaked documents from Caesars. Yeah, he's going after the Conservative Party of Canada's communications director, Sarah Fisher, over over her Easter tweet. A picture, a, a depiction of what is supposed to be the tomb of Jesus with, uh, you know, the open boulder, right? Yeah, the third day he rose from the dead with this heading, the most unsuccessful lockdown of all time. Well, Glenn didn't like that. He got triggered. He says, yeah, this, this is the communications director for the Conservative Party of Canada. Glenn never gets tired of being a shill for the Liberal. I mean, Liberal Party, Glenn never gets tired of acting like the communications director for the Liberal Party and Justin Trudeau. That's why he will never get leaked documents from whistleblowers at CSIS or anyone else. And that's why he's getting his ass handed to him by the <laughs> by their competitors at Global News. I guess that feels pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, wherever mayoralty candidate Chris Guy goes, the cops are not far behind him. This is, look, this is very troubling, okay? Because I have to ask, is this all due to his mayoralty campaign? Is this all due to the fact that the powers that be really don't want Chris Skye running for mayor? Here it is. We got a tweet from Rob Primo. Breaking news. Toronto police have surrounded Chris Skye and tried to intimidate him with a huge stack of all sorts of tickets. We knew this treatment was coming, but this soon? They're going to play very dirty here in Canada. And Canada is literally a police state. That tweet 
by Rob. Here's a little bit about what it sounded like, is uh, because of course they were rolling on the whole thing. This this is uh, somebody videotaping uh, Chris Guy getting pulled over and surrounded by police. Okay, so he had his phone with him after he'd been pulled over. Driving while under suspension, well pulled over. And of course, this one's my favorite. Careless driving. Careless driving for being pulled over. Anyway, uh, like I said, if this is about his mayoralty run, then it is uh, very troubling indeed. Our friend Joe Warmington, meantime, well, he was on the scene of an attempted carjacking in Brampton which was stopped by, guess what? Good Samaritans, people who weren't going to put up with it, people who were probably tired of having to call the police and have them not, having them not even show up. This time, he says, says Joe, this time it was the carjacker armed with a knife who got jacked. It certainly didn't go as planned on Easter Sunday at this Brampton gas station. A good Samaritan stepped in and made the arrest. One taken to hospital with minor injuries is believed to be the alleged criminal. Now, there is a video from the scene which Joe posted. Uh, my concern about this is that the cops, well, the left in general, is going to get triggered. They don't like people defending themselves. Let's listen to what Joe uh, had to say from the scene of this uh, attempted carjacking. In Brampton, right on the border with Mississauga, this gas station has got everything. It's got regular gas products and a car wash, Tim Hortons and the Circle K, and also a cannabis shop. It's also a place where a criminal tried to carjack somebody here early morning on Easter Sunday, only to find out that other people were gonna have none of that and stepped in. Somebody else that was at this gas station complex made an arrest and stopped the person from doing the carjacking and they were apparently at the Tim Hortons, the person that's the hero. Peel police came in and made an arrest and took one person to hospital, believed to be the person that was attempting to do the carjacking. The, the moral of the story is that people are starting to take action themselves, take matters into their own hands. The police don't recommend this, but you can see why some people are not going to wait to be carjacked or to see somebody hurt. Yeah, but unfortunately, the cops are going to go after those good Samaritans. They don't want they, they don't want any good Samaritans doing the work that they say they should be doing. And Justin Trudeau himself said, we don't defend ourselves in this country. We just let criminals walk all over us. I mean, he was, he was referring to firearms at the time. But clearly, the agenda of these people is what it is, all right? They, they want you to be the victim. Right? Why do you think that they are releasing violent criminals onto the streets? These violent criminals are serving a purpose for the regime. 
They are the regime's brown shirts and thugs. They've been weaponized against you. Remember, you are the target here. That's why these people are, get, are the beneficiaries of this soft on crime, easy bail system that we now have in place. Trudeau is in the nation wrecking business, and that means releasing criminal scum onto the street to hurt you. That's right. That's why they're doing it. Why? Because the regime itself is criminal scum. Case in point, this tweet by Spencer Fernando, a majority of MPs voted for an independent public inquiry into China's election interference. Why is Justin Trudeau still ignoring them? Why do you think? If you're a criminal, if you're a traitor, you will do anything to hide that fact. And now he's got a special raconteur <laughs> to tell stories to the public about how our elections are perfectly sound. Nothing to see here. Just move on. And how the last Chinese infiltration didn't change the result. It may have tweaked things a little bit. Maybe a couple of seats flipped. But don't worry about it. So apparently older women, now the last of Trudeau's staunch supporters. How much longer will that go on? Who knows? Liberal cabinet minister Karina Gould feels your pain, feels your economic pain. Yeah, they all do. Haven't you heard? The liberals, yeah, they're, they're on it now. And by the way, uh, Justin Trudeau coming out, offering these words of wisdom to people about why the government is in the business of racking up catastrophic levels of public debt. Let's listen now that Justin Trudeau suddenly has come around to turning his attention to monetary policy. Remember he said he didn't pay any attention to monetary policy? Well, now apparently he has figured it all out. Boy, let's listen. Yes, you know, you know if you're using, you used your credit card for the first time, you're using your credit card to in invested a huge flat screen TV home theater system for your basement, okay, you know, that's going to be something you're going to be paying off for, for a while. But if you use your credit... Well, not if you're paying for it up front, blackface. <laughs> not if you are buying things when you have the money. You don't have to run up huge debt. Card to go back to school, or if you use your credit card... Now, listen to this. This is how he justifies his, his debt. to school... Or if you use if you use card, uh, you, you go into debt to uh, build an expansion on your house uh, that you're then going to be able to uh, sell your house for more. If you're making investments that are going to return, that is how you grow a strong. Yeah. Like, frankly, confident economies invest in themselves. Ah. Canada has done, and that's why Canada is. That's why Canada is so, in so much debt. Yeah. That's why we've got an economic problem. That's why we have inflation. By the way. I don't know if anybody told Karina Gould that in her interview with uh, CTV. Let's listen a little bit. This, you have to kind of watch this video because she's got this stupid grin on her face, even as she's talking about how Canadians are struggling economically. Let's listen. Your colleagues have been at, a, at grocery stores throughout this break week talking about some of the specific measures uh, in this budget aimed at uh, the issue of affordability, in particular the, the grocery rebate. Before I have uh, or sort of ask you about those specific measures, I, I kind of wanted to start off with an existential question. Like, as the minister who oversees families uh, who's in charge of that file in this country. Do you think there is an affordability crisis in Canada right now? 
Yeah, I do. I think um, that you know many families, in particularly lower income families, are really struggling right now to make ends meet. Uh, you know, the high cost of rent, the high cost of food, um, is having a big impact. And you know, even for folks who are you know in the middle class, like they're they're feeling the squeeze. So yeah, people are people are struggling right now. Uh, there's some like quantification of that through Angus Reid today. Uh, one in three Canadians say they're either in bad or terrible shape financially. And among those who say they're in terrible shape financially, nine in 10 Canadians say it's difficult to feed their household. What does that tell you? Yeah, it means that things are really expensive. Um, I mean, I talk to families all the time about these challenges. Um, and I have to say that, you know, it's, it's hard. Like, I, I can say that when I go to the grocery store, I mean, I see the impact of it. Yeah, uh, you don't feel the impact. None of them do. These people are bubble wrapped against the very economic pain they are inflicting on you. They are responsible for the dumpster fire of inflation. They are responsible. And it relates to what Blackface just said. That's it. We're running up all sorts of debt because we're investing in the economy. We're a confident economy. So they're wrecking it, spending and taxing the crap out of you. That's what's fueling inflation. And then she comes on and says, yeah, we feel your pain. You know what? You don't feel our pain at all. You are bubble wrapped against the kind of pain that millions of Canadians are feeling. That's why you're doing it. The bought off media now in the United States pushing the idea that Ron DeSantis, the governor of, of Florida, presidential candidate, unofficial, I guess, and RFK Jr., who's running against Joe Biden, he's the Democrat, they really don't get this whole thing about central bank digital currencies. They just don't understand it. There's nothing to worry about. It comes after this release by the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has made no decision on issuing a central bank digital currency, CBD, and would not do so without clear support from Congress and the executive branch, which of course is the president. It will, they all want it. Ideally, in the form of specific uh, authorizing law, a CBDC would not replace cash or other payment options. My friends, this is about government surveillance. This is about control. RFK Jr. knows that. Ron DeSantis know that. They are sounding the alarm, and these guys don't like it, and their chimps in the media, at NBC in particular, are saying, this. you got it all wrong. Their current policies, these policies around digital currencies really are designed to bring about a currency collapse. Okay, it's designed, what are they fueling inflation for? Why are they printing off trillions of dollars? They know it's gonna fuel inflation. That's no, they know how, how to essentially collapse an economy and collapse a currency. It's happened in Venezuela most recently and other countries in the past. That's how you precipitate a crisis, which then necessitates their particular solution, which is a controlled digital currency that will be used ultimately as an instrument of controlling you. This tweet by Ron DeSantis. It is not merely ideal that major changes in policy receive specific authorization from Congress. It is constitutionally required. Unaccountable institutions cannot impose a CBDC on Americans. They will tell us that CBDC won't be abused, but we are wise enough to know better. This wolf comes as a wolf. There's no sheep's clothing here. This is the globalist wet dream, my friends. You know, it's like, oh, we've, we've see, we see through your purchase, your attempted purchase of, of red meat, 
You, we won't allow that because you've already had enough steak and hamburger this month. You can have an estrogen-packed soy burger instead. That's what they're doing. They're pushing control on you. And CBDCs are designed exactly to do that. And good for old school Democrat RFK Jr. and a Republican, Ron DeSantis, for raising the, the, the alarm bells. All right, my friends, got to take a break. Back with more on Newstalk Saga 960 and the Mark Petrona Show after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni radio program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. We're back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us to start your work week right here on the Mark Petrona Show. Well, Chris Skye, who, of course, is running for mayor, he was on the show last week talking about what he would do if and when he becomes mayor of Toronto. Well, he's run into some, let's say, some difficulties with the authorities and his driver's license. And he says it's no coincidence that all this is happening at a time when he's running for mayor. People uh, in, I want to say, the elites, uh, the power structure in Toronto don't want him running for mayor. They don't like him very much. And so they are using their power to make it as difficult on him as possible. And in this case, according to Chris, it involves his license, which was suddenly, well, suspended. Let's hear his story. You guys want to hear about corruption? So about three weeks ago, I went to Service Ontario and I uh, adjusted my uh, address on uh, my health card and I went to go see what was going on with my license because I knew uh, it had been cancelled after two years of not being reinstated because I had a condition where I couldn't drive. So I went to the Service Ontario and I asked if there was any reinstatement fees if it was suspended, etc. They said there's no reinstatement fee, it's not suspended but you have to go to Drive Test Center and redo your eye test and redo your G1. Fair enough. So today I went to the drive test center, I waited in line a long time, get to the front, and they say, sorry, we can't help you. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, it shows right here that your license was just suspended, even though I hadn't been driving, and even though I had just went to Service Ontario and checked specifically to see if it was suspended, it wasn't. But it conveniently, get this guys, conveniently been suspended the day I went to check on it right after it was confirmed that it wasn't suspended to me as soon as I left service Ontario my license was magically suspended to ensure that I would have absolutely no idea that it was suspended and in fact I would have every inclination that it wasn't suspended because I went to service Ontario to verify and of course it makes them allow me to wait in line at Service Ontario and then send me, or sorry, in Drive Test Center and then serve, send me back to Service Ontario for a never-ending cycle of, sorry, we're just not going to give you a license. This is how the government of Canada and the police are working right now. So if you want more of this, if you want to be treated like this, 
vote for anybody but me. But if this upsets you, if you think that nobody should be treated like this, even someone like me, then vote for me. And I guarantee you, those that are responsible for this type of behavior will be held accountable and made examples of. And this type of thing will never happen again to me or anybody else. All right, that is the mayoralty candidate, Chris Skye. In the meantime, in Brazil, yeah, this protest, well, that didn't take long since uh, this uh, Marxist Lula was installed. Now we've got uh, tractors going into Rio de Janeiro and other cities as farmers are doing in that country, the same thing that they've done in the Netherlands and elsewhere as the government targets their food supply, targets farmers looking to expropriate property. It's the same agenda for those who think that this is all some kind of conspiracy theory. It's a globalist agenda. And uh, regardless of what the naysayers say, it's pretty painfully obvious that it's happening right across, right around the world. Anyway, keep fighting farmers in Brazil. Well, this video has certainly been making the rounds. A biological man fracturing a woman's skull during, I guess it's a MMA, mixed martial arts. Let's listen to what it sounded like. Fox took oh, the knees and oh. that's it. Felon Fox. Holy cow. Oh, she went down in a heap. Over. Wow. And a quick finish wow. to our first. She looked seriously concussed. Our first women's he just clobbered her. Yeah, okay, this is what the winner sounded like. How you feeling right now? I'm feeling excellent. That was sweet, huh? Yeah, Did yeah, real like sweet. No, I didn't yeah. like it at all. And I want to tell everyone else, I'm coming in this in this tournament. Every woman in this tournament better look out. Oh, I'm yeah. freaking coming. Oh, uh, this is bizarre. It's, uh, it's unreal. It's like some kind of dystopian future nightmare biological man fractures a woman's skull uh, we used to this is the tweet by Vivek Ramzamwami we used to call this violence against women now we call it a victory for trans rights yeah and uh, this individual points out that this quote-unquote woman's voice at the end doesn't sound much like a woman to me he goes on to say the trans cult is a mental health epidemic in our country and it needs to stop why would you step into the ring i mean if you're a woman i mean i'm talking like a bi biological woman uh, why would you ever step into the ring against you know a buff guy claiming to be a woman i mean what do you think is going to happen here is my tweet in response these events are a dangerous farce no one should be legitimizing them and this is my issue with women and not only women I mean, anybody participating in this, you're <sighs> perpetuating it, all right? If you participate, you are perpetuating this. If you're a woman, I, need, I realize that your instinct is to compete, but do not step into the ring against a dude because you're going to get hurt, just like this person did. I mean, she, she just got pounded, as, as you might pretty much would expect going up against a guy claiming to be a woman. So no athletic association should ever sanction these events. No ref should, should take part. No broadcast, no webcast, no advertisers, and no fans in the stands. What were you thinking?
when you paid, got your ticket, knowing full well, I would assume that you knew that there was going to be a guy pretending to be a woman pounding the crap out of a female and hurting that individual. I mean, it's just, uh, it's tragic, but it's not going to stop because as long as you participate in these, these events, they're going to continue. And yeah, you're gonna face punishment for sure. You're going to probably be booted or you're gonna be suspended, but don't do it. If you want it to stop, then don't perpetuate it by getting involved because all you're doing is legitimizing it. By taking, a, by taking part of it, whether you like it or not, by taking part of it, you're saying, well, this is okay. That's the message that it sends, that it's fine, that I agree with this. It's, it's like a tacit way of agreeing with the fact that a woman can compete head to head with a man in a sport like MMA. It's lunacy. Don't do it. Well, Donald Trump uh, riding high in the polls ever since he was indicted. After Donald Trump is indicted, most Republicans still want him to run for president in 2024. This is according to a YouGov survey. Former President Trump has used the news of his New York indictment to raise funds for his 2024 election campaign in recent days, indicating that Trump's team sees an opportunity to turn his legal misfortune into political capital. Now, this is a left-wing organization. That's why it reads the way it is, as if he was looking for this sort of thing, like he couldn't wait to be charged, like he couldn't wait to be indicted. I mean, he has railed against this travesty. The uh, story goes on to say that effort could be successful among Republicans. In the latest Economist YouGov poll, most Republicans continue to want Trump to run for the White House in 2024. Now, this is bad news for the left, and believe me, they hate this. They're trying to diminish Donald Trump. They're trying to make him out to be a criminal in the eyes of Americans, and it's backfiring. This week, 61% of Republicans say he should run. Why wouldn't he run? Obviously, this is a politically motivated witch hunt against Trump. This is the highest share of Republicans who have said this since the question started being asked in July of 2022. One quarter of Republicans do not want to see Trump run for the White House next year. Three in five Republicans want Donald Trump to run. And you know what? He should run because the left is doing everything to trip him up, including weaponizing the justice system to the point where he has to face these ludicrous charges. Americans know injustice when they see it, and that's why they're rallying around Trump. Okay, so here's the story. <laughs> and this is exactly speaking to what I said earlier about women needing to just not compete. This story a biological male cyclist has been barred from competing in a women's cycling race after female cyclists planned to boycott the race in protest to his unfair advantage. You see what I'm talking about when you take a stand? Emily Bridges, who is a man, only began hormone therapy last year to transition. Where have we seen this before? Leah Thomas. And has now been determined ineligible to compete against women. This is a story in the Daily Wire News. And this is what needs to happen. Women need to just say, no, 
We're not participating. You want to boot me out of the sport. You want to punish me. You want to suspend me. Uh, do it. But I am not taking part in these sham events. Not only are they dangerous, but they're grotesquely unfair. So good for the women who said no in this case. Now, everybody's got to do the same thing. All right, Fox, is, uh, Tucker Carlson spoke about the attack on free speech in Canada as it applies to transgenderists, drag queen uh, folks, people who are holding these events. Well, they don't like protesters around. And um, here's Tucker on uh, how your free speech will be deemed uh, illegal if you dare protest these individuals or any of these events uh, within a certain proximity. Anyway, let's listen. In Canada, transgenderism will soon be the justification for suspending all freedom of speech. A new law will ban speech that offends transgenderists near drag performances. So you can't complain. Watch. The drag communities are, do, are, are done waiting for this government to take real action in effective ways, and so is the Ontario NDP. The proposed legislation does two things, and I will go through them. Firstly, it enables the Attorney General to create a 2S LGBTQI plus community safety zone to prohibit within 100 meters of the property any homophobic, transphobic act of intimidation, threat, offensive threats, offensive remarks, protest, disturbance, and distribution of hate propaganda within the meaning of the uh, criminal code. Look, we just don't want you around our kids, okay? I mean, at the end of the day, stay away from children. And yet, do they? No. They gravitate to the very young, to the innocent, and that's the issue here. So stop making it out to be like everybody's a transphobe or whatever you want to call them. We just don't want you around children. It also comes with it a penalty of $25,000 if prosecuted successfully. So here's a rule of thumb that is worth tacking on your refrigerator because it explains so much. If the people who claim to be victims are working to oppress you, they're not actually victims. They are oppressors. And once again, with this cult specifically, that is inevitable because at its core is a provable lie defied and revealed by the unchanging laws of science. We do not have the power to change our sex. It is in our DNA. It is in our bone structure. You dig up a fossilized skeleton thousands of years later and you can tell it's sex. Yeah, to that point, I fully expect, and I did mention this on my Twitter feed, I expected this trans cult to target archaeologists who dare determine the sex of ancient human skeletons based on science, yeah, which is what they do now. <laughs> so you, you dig up fossil, um, human fossils dating back you know, hundreds of thousands of years or more, and yeah, you can determine the gender of that, but you watch the cult come out and said, you know what, you, you might be misgendering that human skeleton. You, absolutely, you better not, you can't say that. You can't say that it's a male or a female because you don't know that. You just watch, it's coming. We can't change that much as we might want to, much as we might feel deep sympathy for those who want to. We still can't change it. That is true. And so of course they have to criminalize your observing that it's true because that is a challenge to the core of their faith.
These are religious extremists on a jihad against the population. And in order to win, they have to force everyone to lie. Period. Yeah. And they're getting more violent by the day. My friends got to take a break. Back with more on Newstalk Saga 960 and the Mark Petrona Show after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we're back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us to start your work week right here on the Mark Petrona Show. We have Adolfo Lacola on the line, who's uh, an experienced grower of marijuana in the United States. And um, he has some thoughts about the ongoing plans to decriminalize hard drugs in Canada. Uh, so we know there's a plan uh, being executed in the province of, of British Columbia, um, which uh, has de- decriminalized hard drugs like heroin, for instance, and uh, methamphetamines, crack. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, the Toronto uh, Council now, City of Toronto, has also released its plans to decriminalize <laughs> all hard drugs, including fentanyl, which is not illegal normally, but obviously how you use it and uh, is it could potentially be dangerous and i know adolfo has some thoughts about this there's also a uh, report of a crime that was committed uh, on the west coast a Kelowna based drug trafficker sentenced to penitentiary time basically a couple of years i mean uh, it seems like a, a nothing burger sentence considering that somebody actually got shot in the commission of some of those Crimes. Tracy Wilson, for instance, has just tweet, tweeted this out. Dealing fentanyl and other drugs, violent crime, shot a 62-year-old female bystander, two measly years in prison. Lots going on in this uh, area now, and I know you're an expert. Adolfo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. All right, so more talk about decriminalizing hard drugs. They're going to go even further in Toronto, at least that's the plan. There's a sweeping plan that's been uh, tabled. Toronto's model of decriminalizing drugs for personal use. Uh, It seems ridiculous to me. It seems like it's going to encourage more use of drugs that uh, are dangerous. What do you think? I think it's absolutely insane. I mean, when we spoke last, we discussed uh, the decriminalization on the West Coast of Canada, and I thought they were out of their minds at that point. But now to hear that they're doing it in Toronto with the gang violence that's already uh, going on in that uh, region of the country, and now decriminalizing the, um, <clears throat> the the hard drugs is completely insane. I mean, you know, just the story of what went on in Kelowna and the person only getting something like two to four years and being caught with the amounts of methamphetamine and Uh, you know, fentanyl and all these things that are so harmful to people and they want to decriminalize it on top of that, which is only going to create a bigger problem. Uh, They feel that it's going to destigmatize 
the use of the drug, and I don't think it should be destigmatized. These are drugs that are killing kids, killing adults. I mean, it's destroying every area in which it touches. Yeah, I mean, good point, because that's one of the arguments being made here. They want to destigmatize the use of these uh, substances. They think, I guess, they figure it's going to help people who are addicted. Um, I mean, I'm going to read you part of the report that was issued by uh, Toronto uh, City Council here. Criminalization does not effectively deter youth substance use. The data show that youth in Toronto between the ages of 12 and 17 use unregulated drugs and are vulnerable to the same harms associated with criminalization as adults. So what they're saying is, well, you know, it doesn't work, so you might as well decriminalize it. I mean, this, are you going to do that with armed robbery? <laughs> because I, there are still armed robberies going on. There are still carjackings going on, whether it's illegal or not. So, I mean, by that logic, well, we might as well uh, decriminalize it since, uh, you know, you're still getting those crimes taking place. To me, this is ludicrous. I, I completely, completely agree. I mean, this is a you know, a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. I mean, the decriminalization of these drugs is only condoning the use of them. Kids are gonna see it that way. Um, it minimizes the actual danger of the use of these drugs. I mean, it's also going to put so much more money in the pockets of the people trafficking these drugs, in, you know, bringing them in. I mean, let, let's look at a story that took place on February 23rd in Tempe, Arizona. Yep. I mean, they busted like 150 some odd people. I mean, the total, the total take was a seizure of four, 0.5 million fentanyl-laced fake prescription pills. So they're they're putting out fake Percocet pills, 66 kilograms of fentanyl powder, 138 kilograms of cocaine, 3,100 3, pounds of methamphetamine. I mean, do you realize what's in that stuff? 35 kilograms of heroin, 49 firearms, and $2 million in cash. I mean, look at the direction that these drugs will go if it's decriminalized up there. I mean, all this will flood into that country because people won't be afraid of any kind of uh, consequence. I mean, if you look at the situation now, I mean, you know, as far as like the situation with marijuana, you could take that as an example. Not that marijuana could compare to the, you know, the death and destruction that these other drugs cause, but the black market is thriving because of the legalization of marijuana. So the black market of marijuana is thriving because A, they're avoiding the taxes, B, there's no consequences. Everybody is shipping marijuana to the states where, you know, it's hard to get and where it's not as good. So what do you think is going to happen when they decriminalize these hard drugs, Mark? Yeah, it's going to explode in use. But I want you to read something else. This is mind boggling. This is from this report that was filed out of the city of Toronto. Decades of stigma about drug use has led to an assumption that decriminalization might have a negative impact on community safety. Yeah. And then they say, however, possessing drugs for personal use 
does not directly cause harm to others. Do you believe that? I mean, that's insane. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm that, reading it verbatim. Yeah, it's completely insane. I mean, the thought of what they're saying, listen, methamphetamine people on it are up for days at a time do you realize the damage that a they're doing to themselves but they're not of right mind and basically could be driving cars handling things i would not want to be on the street where people are like using these drugs and it's not a problem i mean fentanyl fentanyl's the same as heroin even heroin <laughs> People will be nodding out while they're driving cars, nodding out while they're walking. I mean, they're not themselves. Those people themselves become dangerous. So I don't understand where their logic is. There is no logic. I mean, I have to read this again. It says, however, possessing drugs for personal use does not directly cause harm to others. I mean, if you get hooked on these substances and you need money for a fix... Well, guess what? You're going to rob, you're going to steal, you're going to assault people, you're going to commit a, you know, bank robberies, or you're going to rob convenience stores. Uh, you're going to be involved in violent acts because you don't know what the hell you're doing. The idea that somehow you're not hurting anybody, you're just you know, taking drugs for personal use, and that's it. You're going to get high, and, and everything's going to be just fine. I mean, there's a reason why these things were deemed illegal to begin with. I mean, they could see the societal dangers where you see these tent cities, people lying around on the streets with needles sticking out of their arms. I mean, how, how could they have possibly come up with this ludicrous statement that personal use does not cause? I mean, it's like, well, does alcoholism, you know, does that cause, uh, does that affect just the person who's uh, drinking or does it affect people around him? I mean, it causes enormous economic damage uh, uh, you know, damage, right? It, it causes people to be violent to, to family members when they drink, you know? So I guess somehow they think that drugs is, uh, what? how's that different? I mean, if you if you drink to excess and you, you've got a major alcohol problem, you're going to cause enormous damage to people around you. If you're addicted to gambling, you're going to steal from your friends, from family members in order to go to the casino, and uh, you know, spend as much money gambling as you possibly can. You're gonna sell off your assets. You're gonna get desperate as you run out of money and you've got a, a fix that you have to take care of. I mean, all these addictions are dangerous to other people, not just yourself. The fact that they came up with is the one, one of the most stupid things I have ever read. Well, Mark, it's obvious that someone in charge is playing with like isn't playing with a full deck like they're about three aces short <laughs> of a full deck over here, because like you said, I mean, alcohol alone, when you look at alcohol addiction, when you you just mentioned gambling addiction, these are addictions that when you're going through any kind of want to do it, you're not physically getting ill because you're not doing it. But when you're talking about heroin, fentanyl, these are drugs that make you physically ill when it, when you cannot get it 
into like once it's in your system, if you don't have it, you get physically ill and you will do harm to somebody if if in fact you know they can give you money and you can go get it. They will try to rob the dealers themselves. And then what do you think is going to happen? People are going to start getting shot and killed and it's just going to go on and on. And this violence will spread through the streets because nobody cares. Absolutely. Nobody's aiming the bullets at one person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Well, like this thing in uh, in British Columbia where a, a bystander got shot. I mean, look what's going on in Chicago where you've got uh, rampant gu- uh, gang violence. I mean, that's drug related, right? That's, of course. I'm, I mean, you know, so that, that drug use is literally personal use. Like you're doing drugs and you got to buy it from somebody. And so you're going to either buy it from this person, this gang or that gang. Next thing you know, there are turf wars and they're shooting at each other. And, and innocent bystanders are being shot occasionally, too. So, yeah, you could say, well, they're just shooting each other. I mean, I'm just extending the logic of this ridiculous report. Well, you know, these gangs are just shooting themselves. So we, the rest of us don't have to worry about it. It's like they were looking for any excuse to legalize hard drugs. I mean, this is absolute insanity, and yet this is the direction they're moving in. I mean, the—I mean, just think of the burden to your healthcare system, right? You know, not only are people going to be killing themselves, so maybe these people who have written this report think, well, you know what? If you're killing yourself, who cares? You're just doing it to yourself. Well, you know, I mean, if you're involved in that type of drug trade. You're going to cause damage to other people around you just by virtue of the fact that you're going to need health care. You're going to so you're going to put an added burden. You know, I mean, you're, they're going to be filling the hospitals because these people are have taken drugs overdoses. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to it's hard to start at just how ridiculous. I mean, if you were trying to destroy a country, this is the kind of thing you would do on purpose. You think, yeah, let's wreck this society by decriminalizing some of the worst substances on the planet. Um, and then allow bail to, uh, you know, give bail to the most violent people so that they get on the streets and continue doing what they're doing. So this is another thing. So it's like soft on crime for violent criminals, get them back on the street, uh, decriminalizing drugs. Everything that these people are doing, Adolfo, seems to, seems to be designed to cause anarchy on the streets. I tell you, Mark, you're 100% right because like you mentioned, <clears throat> they're not keeping it amongst themselves. The violence is not staying amongst themselves. The damage is not staying amongst themselves. I mean, what did a 65-year-old woman do to get shot by these people and it was drug-related? What do you think is going to happen? You don't think those numbers are going to increase? I'll bet you money that they do. Anyway, uh, it's hard to know where this is going. It's, uh, it's not a good thing. I imagine that the Americans are looking at this and going, those Canadians have completely lost their minds. There's no way we're decriminalizing heroin down here. At least, I don't I don't know. I mean, even in California. Well, they did. Oh, they, they okay. did. Oh, I stand corrected. Where did they do this? Colorado? In Seattle and Seattle okay. and Oregon. There you go. So Portland. I mean, look at, what, look at what's going on in Portland. You know, the disaster, that area that that's, that's uh, turned into and Seattle. And so are Americans saying, well, it hasn't worked in Oregon. It hasn't worked in Washington state. 
Why the hell would we do it anywhere else? I, I hope that nobody else is going to do that. I mean, if anybody was, I would think that it would be California. Have you heard anything about that? I don't, I mean, are they seriously looking at that option there? No, not at all. And I'm very thankful for that because, I mean, California is a mess to begin with anyway, with the 10 cities. I mean, a beautiful city like San Francisco, uh, less than eight years ago, was absolutely one of the most gorgeous cities out there. Real estate was booming. Now you don't want to go there if they paid you to be there with what's going on. Adolfo, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your expertise on this subject. It was my pleasure, Mark. Thank you for having me. Let's take a break. Back with more on Newstalk Saga 960 and the Mark Petrona Show after this. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. We're back with more News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us on this Monday edition of the show. Well, we haven't had Neil Oliver on the show. He's, of course, the philosopher and commentator on GB News with the uh, thick Scottish brogue. And he's talking about the economy. He's talking about how a final and catastrophic crash may actually happen. And when you look around and you see us heading into a recession, I mean, there's nothing new about recessions, but this may end up being infinitely worse, especially given geopolitical events of a economic uh, slant, if you want to call it that. When you look at more and more countries, China, for instance, working with countries of the, the BRIC nations, which includes India, which includes Brazil, and these countries are basically opting out of the U.S. dollar. Now, that's going to have uh, far-reaching implications. If the U.S. dollar is no longer the reserve currency, well, we could be headed for hyperinflation. And uh, that's a disaster, my friends. Let's listen to Neil Oliver talk about his, give us his take on what's going on and why it might be happening. Less and less makes any sense to me. People are struggling all around this country and all around the world. In many cases, it's nothing less than a life and death struggle. Talk about to be or not to be. For too many, that truly is the question. And those in positions of power, hypothetically in a position to help, are, on the contrary, making matters worse. Let me start with a story. I won't identify the person in question because unlike the technocrats and those others committed to doing away with the concept of personal privacy, I believe a person's financial transactions are their own business and no one else's. But last week, someone close to me and whose word I trust 100% went into the bank to withdraw a few thousand pounds in cash. The teller started asking questions specifically about what the money was for. The person close to me said that it was for a private family matter. The teller made plain that that was not a good enough answer. That person close to me then said it was for a purchase. The teller asked, and I'm not making this up, is that the truth? When told it was the truth, the teller then said, if we find out you're lying, we can block your account. Let me make clear that I am relating the experience of a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen who entered a high street bank branch with passport and other ID in hand seeking to withdraw some hard-earned savings. 
only to be treated like a criminal. Let's remember that official policy now is zero trust, which is to say the institutions, banks included, have decided we the people are best treated as guilty of crime or crimes unknown until we prove to the satisfaction of those unaccountable institutions that we... By the way, um, this rings a bell. I recently tried to transfer some uh, cash from my RBC account to a uh, crypto exchange. That crypto exchange is used to buy whatever you want to buy in the way of cryptocurrencies. So I buy Bitcoin. Anyway, uh, that used to be relatively easy, but now all of a sudden it's gotten a little more difficult. In fact, it took several tries before it happened. I ended up having to call uh, the uh, service, the customer service people at RBC to find out what was wrong, what the problem was. They don't want to let that cash go. And they know full well that if I transfer it to a certain organization that I'm going to be probably getting into crypto. And they're, uh, to me, it just seems like they're dragging their heels. I don't know if you should do that. I, I Look, these people think it's their money. <laughs> you know, in their view, I'm telling you this, is, and we really saw that during the convoy when the blackface regime, of course, worked with the banks to freeze people's accounts. They think it belongs to them. Let's listen to the rest of this. Innocent. I don't know how you react to that story, and if required, I will happily swear in a stack of Bibles that it's the unalloyed truth, but it shocks me to the core. Remember when the idea of putting your money in a bank account was first and foremost about wanting the cash to be somewhere safe instead of in a shoebox under the bed? Remember when we maintained a simple trust in our high street banks? How young we were, how naive. Here and elsewhere, banks are teetering on the brink of ruin again, just like they did in 2008. The calamitous practices that made them teeter then, practices that would, if you or I had attempted anything similar, have put us in jail so fast our feet would never have touched the ground, were not even addressed, far less punished and stopped. Rather, their foundations built on sand were just shored up with more sand. Governments kicked the can down the road and no wrongdoer was ever held to account. Millions of Americans lost their homes that year, the same year that saw bankers get their bonuses as usual. Now the overburden of bad debt made of money created out of nowhere and lent over and over again, now all that debt that caused the trouble back then has been allowed to grow even bigger. Many are speculating that a final and catastrophic crash is coming for the banks, and maybe it is, but I ask you this. Given that banks are private businesses run by unelected private business people and that they are empowered to create money out of nothing, how and why would they ever run out of that money unless it suited a grand narrative to have that happen? This steady disappearance of much that makes simple common sense to me is not limited to the activities of the wibbly-wobbly banks. It's about much more besides simple and obvious stuff. In my family, we can clearly see that food prices have gone up by a half at least, and in some cases more, certainly not by the few percentage points officially attributed to inflation. Sometimes the cost of our weekly shop has doubled, and that's a fact. When we moved into our house around six years ago, the standing order for our energy bill was about £200 a month. Right now it's nudging £800 a month. Our council tax has gone up by £1,000 per year. And yet we got another letter saying we would have to pay separately to have our garden rubbish collected. We've also to pay separately to park our car on the road outside our house. 
The latest budget did nothing meaningfully to address any of it, not for us, not for anyone else. Why, just as a for instance, does no government ever act to help those women who want to look after their own children at home full time? Why is the emphasis always on providing childcare, childcare made as cheap as possible for those who need or want to take work outside the home? You might say, in many cases, that the system is deliberately structured so that as many as people as possible are left with no option but to seek work outside the home if a roof is to be kept over the family's head. Such measures driving everyone into the marketplace to raise more tax revenue for the government are always predicated upon something else that makes no sense to me, which is to say the work of caring for children is always made among the lowest paid of all work. Why do governments always and only go out of their way to make it financially preferable to put children, the most precious element of our lives, in the care of those paid the least to do so? Why is the most important job of all, that of caring for the next generation in their youngest years, worth less than every other occupation? We have plummeting birth rates here in Britain and around much of the West. Governments routinely declare that the solution, the only solution indeed, is more immigration. But why not make it financially advantageous for couples to have children and to look after them themselves by ensuring one wage coming into the home is enough? By the way, these are the types of measures that China now, I mean, if these globalists love the Chinese example, but because of their disastrous one-child policy over the course of decades, they have now reached the point where they're facing a demographic nightmare going forward. And so now they have to reverse course mightily and try to spur uh, the birth uh, so that they'll have young people able to generate uh, you know, tax revenue and, and work and do all the sorts of things that uh, as you age, you, you, can't, you, know, you can't do anymore. So uh, nothing that, that Neil Oliver is saying should be a shock to anybody. Why are there no new tax breaks for families where one parent works and the other, in the vast majority of cases, let's be honest, the woman stays at home to look after the children? Too few babies are being born here and in Western countries all over the world. And how do governments respond? By making the role of full-time mother the most deliberately challenged and unattainable role of all. Where's the sense? Why does our society pointedly look down on those women, and again, let's be honest, it is mostly women, who want to dedicate their lives every day to caring for their own children? In what rational universe is that progressive? In what rational universe does that make sense? I say there's no sense anywhere. Rising energy costs are blamed on Russia. This is palpable nonsense. Energy companies selling oil and gas are making bigger profits than ever. There's also no shortage of oil and gas. Look to the Middle East where oil trades at around $5 a barrel, costs $5 a barrel to get out of the ground. That's $5 for between 40 and 50 gallons. Those oil-rich states and the companies that get the oil out of the ground are simply making a killing more and more all the time. The so-called green revolution is powered by that same oil and gas and will be into a point in the future so distant it's hardly worth looking for. The war we should all be paying closer attention to is not just the one in Ukraine, but that being waged all around us right now by greedy governments and their best friends, the trans transnational corporations, against their own people to keep those people down. The powers that be have let it be known there may be food shortages ahead. 
This is at the same time as those same powers that be are going out of their way to make it harder for farmers to produce That's food. Right. Why are governments in the West harassing their farmers into giving up their land and culling their herds instead of encouraging them to produce more food and not less? Because we're under this attack makes by no these sense governments, to me. that's why. Billionaires like Bill Gates and John Kerry fly around the world in private jets. We all know that pound for pound private jets generate the most emissions. If it really was about cutting emissions, those billionaires would take the simple step of stopping using private jets. But no, their response, the solution they prefer, is to make even more of those polluting flights so that they can preach against the use by us, the common folk, of the much more efficient passenger planes. This makes no sense to me. By far the best way to help poor people is to enable them to lift themselves out of poverty so they can take care of themselves and raise healthy, educated, well-adjusted children. Instead, in the past three years, we've seen the greatest transfer of wealth from poor to rich in all of history. More recently, even those who had only recently elevated themselves out of generations of poverty and into the emergent middle classes are being actively impoverished once more by the dedicated and deliberate actions of governments. Homes are being made harder to hold on to and harder to heat. Food and energy are deliberately being made ruinously expensive. In what rational universe does any of that make sense? It doesn't. Unless, of course, the presence of independent, healthy, educated, confident people is anathema to governments. Yeah, well, that's true. We're the targets here. <laughs> they want us weak. They want us dependent. They want us on our knees with our hands out, completely at the mercy of these tyrants and wannabe aristocrats. Nowadays, I think of our government not as of the people, by the people, right. for the people, but rather as an enemy government in occupation. <laughs> Thank you for I saying that, Fine. All that we are seeing, after three years like no others, three years of harms deliberately inflicted, are blatant attempts by governments and their little wizards to cover up and otherwise distract from the consequences of their own actions. Rather than by war in Ukraine, I say the ever-worsening hardship and relentless suffering of millions is caused by ideologically driven wickedness. The looming threat of God knows what next, whatever they try to frighten us with next, nuclear war, war with China, international terrorism, noticeably we haven't had any international terrorism for quite a while, will surely keep many on edge and ready to comply with whatever life and freedom diminishing nonsense is proposed. What does make sense to me is history. In June 1816, the French ship Medusa set sail for Senegal with 400 passengers and crew. The captain was an upper-class incompetent, granted his position on account of who he was rather than his ability. On the 2nd of July, the Medusa ran aground off the West African coast. There was room in the lifeboats for just 250. The rest, at least 146 men and one woman, were put aboard a hastily assembled raft. The initial plan and promise was for the boats to tow the raft to safety, but after just a few miles, the ropes were cut. The poorest were literally cut adrift in the open sea with almost nothing. Tragically, but understandably, in those most dreadful of circumstances, the situation descended in the end into savage fighting and cannibalism. By the time they were rescued, purely by chance, only 13 men were left alive. The scandal was memorialised in the painting The Raft of the Medusa, by the French artist Theodore Jericho, a more blatant and shaming demonstration of the abandonment of the poor by the powerful, the powerful committed only to their own survival, even if it must mean the dehumanising debasement and sacrifice of those less fortunate. It's hard to imagine. It's all there to be seen on one vast 23 feet by 16 feet canvas. 
History has a great deal to teach us if we will only pay attention to it. It boils down to this. It's all happened before and it will keep happening until we say no. Yeah, and are people willing to do that? I mean, that's really the question here. Will people wake up? I think we're under attack because these forces that are trying to undermine our democracies, our rights, our freedoms, believe that most people won't fight, that people are basically sheep-like, that they've become, frankly, unwilling to put their own lives at risk. We see it everywhere. People just say, well, I'll just go along because, oh, my job might be at stake, or I can't travel, or I can't do this. And so they go along to get along. And I tell you, that, my friends, is a dead end, literally. Let's take a break. Back with more on Newstalk Saga 960 and the Mark Petrona Show after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. to the Mark Petroni radio program heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. We're back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us to start your work week right here on the Mark Petrona show. Big day for Donald Trump when he was uh, received with a standing O at UFC 287. And then the crowd starts chanting USA. Let's hear what it sounded like. Yeah, big fans of Donald. 45. Okay, and, and the other thing, I guess the the winner, uh, Jorge Masvidal, he was uh, sent a shout out to Trump as well after speaking with Joe Rogan. Let's listen. I'm a huge fan. That's Joe. And I've appreciated everything you've done. Jorge also want to Mas- say, greatest president in the history of the world, sitting right there. We also got the greatest governor of all time here in Florida. Let's keep Florida free, Oreste, and let's take that. You know who? Let's go, Brent. Okay, yeah, he he was going to use a, a curse word there. Um, but, you know, he wanted to get rid of Biden, obviously. And so, yeah, big day. I mean, I, clearly the guy's popular. There's no doubt about that. And uh, what's happened in New York with the indictment, I don't think that's dampened the enthusiasm. In fact... It may have even uh, improved his popularity as people realize the injustice of it all. Also, here is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, saying uh, we don't allow ballot harvesting. I mean, that could be one reason why he won so handily against his uh, opponent uh, last time around in the last election. Absolutely uh, wiped him off the map. Let's hear what uh, he had to say about ballot harvesting, which is something where Trump said, look, we have to embrace it. And uh, if the Democrats are doing it, we need to do it. But, well, according to Ron DeSantis, uh, it's not going to happen in Florida. Let's listen. Efficient elections. Nobody would have viewed Florida as one place that had good elections because we had some problems back in the day. Well, we work really hard on that over the years. Uh, since I've been governor, we've banned ballot harvesting in the state of Florida. We've banned Zuckerbucks in the state of Florida. 
We don't allow mass unsolicited mail ballots to be sent out in the state of Florida, and absentee voters must show voter ID, right. just like you do in the polling place. This is exactly what should happen right across the country. Uh, efficient elections. Nobody would have anyway, viewed Florida uh, as... Good for, good for DeSantis. It's a, it's a huge deal. I mean, if you don't have fair and free elections, uh, you don't have anything. The Republic is dead, and they know that, and they've got to fix it. All right, here's some polling news. Uh, Trudeau's decline. This was posted by Rowan. Uh, watch as pollster Nick Nanos breaks down the power index. A quote in the uh, tweet, uh, in, the, in the post, rather, the ballot numbers not looking too good for the liberals. Leadership numbers not looking good. The brand not looking good. Well, why would anybody be surprised by that? Let's listen a little bit as Nikki Nanos breaks down the numbers, the latest poll numbers as far as the liberals and uh, his main competitor, uh, Pierre Polyev. Let's listen. Uh, the power index is basically uh, measures the strength of all of the federal parties, and it includes a combination. It's a model that includes a combination of vote preferences, uh, preferred prime minister, accessible voters, like the proportion of Canadians that would consider voting for all of the parties, uh, and also scores, leadership scores on each of the federal party leaders. And, you know, over the course of the last while, the Liberals have consistently had uh, an advantage on the power index and had a stronger brand. Uh, now we see the Conservatives surpassing them, you know, for the first time in a couple of years since the, since the last election when uh, the Conservatives had a little bit of a surge. But, you know, right now the Conservatives score 50 points on the power index, the Liberals 47, NDP at 46. What does that mean? The Liberal and the NDP brand are basically about the same, while the mm. Conservative brand is now stronger than both of those. The big difference, Michael? Accessible voters, which is one of the key inputs. For the last, why don't we just say 50 years, the Liberals traditionally have always had a larger pool of accessible voters. That means people that would consider voting Liberal. Hmm. And that was true in 2015 when they had their big win. But since 2015, the proportion of Canadians that would consider voting Liberal has gone down. So they've gone from a big tent, why don't we say, to a narrower tent. And uh, as a result, it's impacted the, what I'll say, the political muscle of the Liberals. So ballot numbers not looking good for the Liberals, leadership numbers not looking good, the brand not looking good. Mm. And right now, Conservatives in the ascendancy. And if there was an election held today, brace yourself, Pierre Poiliev, Prime Minister, or I should say, the right Honourable Pierre Poiliev. Hmm. Well, I don't think anybody's too surprised by that assessment. But it um, doesn't look like there's going to be an election anytime soon. We'll just have to see, I suppose. Somebody posted uh, some Easter-related uh, pictures and a tweet by some questions around whether or not Jugmeet Singh ever even got around to uh, wishing people a happy Easter. I know he in the, in the past he's talked about other religious holidays related to, say, Muslims like Ramadan. But this time around, it was like Happy Sunday. Uh, Ezra Levant noting that, well, why is it so hard to say Happy Easter there, Jugmeet? Anyway, here is a post by Cat Canada. Never too old, never too late, never too far gone. Salvation is available. No time like the present. This guy, 100 years old, 100 years old, getting baptized. Wow. The old guy. And down he goes into the water. Baptized and up he comes. Yeah, I hope 
hope you had uh, a good weekend yourself. Our friends at Redacted um, did a podcast recently talking about concerns in Ukraine that some of the weapons they've been getting, frankly, are faulty. That's right. They're not doing what they're supposed to do, which is kill the enemy. I wonder if uh, Canada's tank is doing all right, <laughs> whether it's still, I don't even know if it's been delivered. But uh, yeah, apparently uh, Zelensky, not happy. Uh, let's listen to this uh, talk a little bit, discussion around, this is by Clayton Morris. Uh, this is uh, redacted, as I mentioned, Clinton and uh, Natalie Morris, talking about this odd uh, instance in which uh, Zelensky said, you guys are, are sending me arms and we can't use it because it doesn't. Well, let's listen. Uh, let's get to a couple of our top stories today. Let's start with this. Um, well, first of all, the State Department, the U.S. State Department, just a few minutes ago issuing a new alert um, for those Americans traveling to and from Russia. Get out now. Get out of Russia right now. Okay. Well, this is like the fifth time that they've said this. Yes, it is. Um, and we're getting word also from the Zelensky camp. There's some weird stuff going on right now in Ukraine as it relates to President Zelensky coming out basically saying, hey, the, the West has been sending us weapons that don't work um, and they know they don't work. Okay. We're also getting reports that tanks are being sent. And this is a really unbelievable report. We're going to dive more deeply into this that Western tanks are, are arriving and they're being told, don't put them on the front lines. So what are they then being used for? Are they being used for show? Like, don't put them in the front lines where they'll be destroyed. Just it's keep like them the like stuff for, that you give to, you know, those donation groups that maybe come and take stuff off of your front porch. You know, yeah. like, just take the stuff we don't want to. Yeah, but don't, but don't put it on the front lines to fight. We want you to just to, to like have photos with it so you can see it on the, like we can do photo ops with it, but don't use it in battle because they will be destroyed. So don't put them on the front. What the hell is happening here? And then this in Austria. Uh, yes, politicians in Austria walked out of a speech by Ukrainian President Zelensky on just today. What they did was placed a sign in front of their seats. You see these signs they're pulling out that are pink and blue. The signs say either a place for peace or a place for neutrality. They're sort of alternating. This was from the conservative party called the Party of Freedom. They had warned that if parliament authorized Zelensky to speak to the entire Austrian um, parliament, they would stage some kind of demonstration uh, because Austria's current public facing position is that it supports Ukraine politically, but it will not send weapons or engage militarily in this conflict with Russia because Austria is neutral and its constitution requires them to be neutral. Uh, one of the party leaders, Herbert Kiki, said it is sad that the fpo is the only party in parliament that takes our everlasting neutrality seriously thereby also standing up for peace um, they are the third largest political group in austria they have um, decent representation they are not fringe although the media is calling them a far-right group um, see the uh, al jazeera headline about this today austria's far-right lawmakers walk out on Zelensky's speech. So apparently now being peace mongering is a far right thing to do. Uh, the left can no longer claim any stakes on peace. Uh, but this well, I, this is a shocking thing to do because we see how meet um, how much of a I'm going to use this term again how much of a media darling <laughs> Zelensky is right and so these people dare to say we're not getting in on this party we want peace and he's begging for more weapons go ahead david 
First of all, I applaud them. Uh, but second, I couldn't hear audio. Was Zelensky already speaking when they did that, or did that they do that pre-entering the chamber? He's on, he's there on, and he was doing a Zoom, one of his famous Zoom calls. So they had okay. the TVs lined up in in you know in the room. He didn't show up there to give a speech. Yeah, are we able to play it again? You can see like there is sort of a pan to the left that you see the video call happening. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and play it again if you can. See that in the bottom left, he's speaking. People okay. are, you know, watching and they are kind of like, we warned you about this. You we're know, done. We're not taking sides. We're out of here. Uh, and I was just so, hoping he saw it. I, yeah, that, I wondered the same thing. If he had an in-feed. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of frustration you're hearing coming out of the Zelensky camp today. And, you know, I, you have to see... And that and that's why I think you're getting these these missiles lobbed back. You know, we're getting weapons from the West that aren't working. They're being we're being told not to use them. They're specifically sending us weapons that don't work and they know they don't work when they're sending them to us. Like, is he now letting the cat out of the bag? Like, this is clearly what's been happening all along. Like he's at an inflection point like, um, maybe we're not set up to win. Yeah. Maybe we should tell everyone the real truth here now. Suddenly, like that's what's going on here. Um, it's kind of crazy. And uh, so there's a lot of really weird things happening over the past 24 hours as it relates to Ukraine uh, and Russia. And of course, as you're seeing this U.S. dollar dominance declining, you're going to see more of this saber rattling um, in the coming weeks uh, as we head into uh, the spring the spring weather. Thank you so much for watching this segment here at Redacted. We are live every day at 4 p.m. Eastern time trying to share the stories that the mainstream media will not cover. You should also come over and join our community of Redacted Rebels over at Redacted.com. Inc. That's our private locals community where we can share exclusive content that we simply cannot share here on YouTube. Come on. There you go. Clayton Morris and Natalie Morris uh, of Redacted. Okay, so Bud Light, I guess not nearly as popular as it was before they went woke. Bud Light says these. It's packed with trans activist Dylan McIlvain, or Mulvaney rather, helps authentically connect with audiences. Well, I don't think it's selling a whole lot of beer anymore. Anheuser-Busch defended transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney, appearing to be used as a Bud Light spokesperson after the beer maker celebrated 365 days of girlhood, saying the pact with Mulvaney helps authentically connect with audiences. Really? <laughs> That's not what I'm hearing. A lot of people are saying, I'm not going to drink that crap anymore. Let's uh, listen now. As beer man is struggling financially, thanks to Anheuser-Busch going, well, woke. Um, I work for an affiliate company. I am a merchandiser. And the sole product of the company I work for is Anheuser-Busch products. So with all this canceling going on, um, there's... I mean, I've never seen such little sales in this past few days uh, on these products. And it's, it's sad because when people don't buy this beer, I don't make money, and I can't feed my family. So it's kind of uh, heartbreaking, I guess, that um, Anheuser-Busch did what they did. They don't know their clientele. So it's uh, kind of heartbreaking. Thanks, Anheuser-Busch. I may not be able to feed my family coming up here soon. Now that is sad, and uh, it's certainly not his fault. Let's listen to 
another account of how Bud Light made a huge mistake. You guys see that right there? I was just talking to the gas station attendant. There was a bunch of dudes in line and I just sounded off. I'm like, hey, excuse me, guys. And the whole line turned and looked at me and I said, will any of you guys ever buy Bud Light again? And all these rednecks that live around me and I are one too. Uh, they're like, nope, never. And the attendant, you know, I think they uh, perked up in that they realized we haven't been selling a lot of Bud Light lately. And I'm like, and you never will, gents. And they said, we'll have them come pick it up uh, next Tuesday. So, fun time. My little town is holding the line. And some dude in line said, hey, go woke, go broke. And so, good times. Yeah, and the same applies for Nike. My friends got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more on Newstock Saga 960 and the Mark Petrona Show after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we're back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us to start your work week right here on the Mark Petrona Show. We have Jeff McGilvery on the show. Jeff, of course, is a sponsor of this show. He's with Blue Harbor Financial. If you want some solid advice on either insurance or financial planning, Perhaps you need some retirement planning like I did. Well, I went to Jeff, and he's done a terrific job. He can do a great job for you as well. Welcome to the show once again, Jeff. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about insurance. When it comes to life insurance, conventional thinking says you need low-cost term life insurance when you have a young family or a mortgage. Well, that's true, and I, uh, I did do that many years ago, but of course... Those uh, insurance policies tend to you know, end after a while when it no longer makes sense for the insurance company to continue when you get old. Anyway, talk a yeah. little bit about what's yeah, going on here. Unaffordable. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Well, we haven't, we haven't talked about insurance in a long time, and there's, uh, there's a certain kind of insurance. I remember the very first time I got started in the industry and I had someone training me, I came across uh, somebody that had something called a joint lifestyle policy. A joint I, what? You know, I learned a little bit about it. Sorry. Joint last to die. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. Which, which sounds weird. So yeah. a lot of people are going to say, well, it's a joint policy between me and my wife, but it's going to pay out when the last person dies. Why is that and what's the purpose of this? And I remember when I first started, I was like, well, this seems weird. Why would why would that happen? And it's, you know, you have your, your every insurance has a specific need of what it's for. And I think I remember the last time we talked a little bit about insurance on the show, I said the easy way to determine for yourself and if your agent is selling you something right is if there's an end date you pick a term policy if there isn't an end date then the end date is unknown you pick a permanent policy but the problem with permanent insurance is a lot of times they're very expensive and a lot of people can't afford it and then sometimes you have people with medical issues and stuff like that <clears throat> the true need for um, these policies called joint last to die um, is there to basically pay for any estate tax that is due at the time of the last person passing away. So if we if we break this down and you have a family and you have a husband and a wife mm-hmm. and they, they grow up, they have a house, 
Um, the house is finished. It's paid off. They're in retirement. They might have a cottage out at the lake somewhere. And they have all this money that they've saved up their entire life. If the husband passes away, everything that is owned by that couple goes to the wife tax-free, correct? Right, yeah. So, so what's the point in having life insurance? There's no estate tax needed when the first person passes away. A couple years down the road, husband passes away. Now, if anybody knows anything about taxes and they've ever had to deal with the, the, the final tax return of an individual or they had a family member pass away what happens on that final tax return is when the when the accountant gets the documents and they prepare the tax return everything is deemed as being sold or declared as income in the year of death so what this means is if you had two million dollars in retirement savings you had a cottage and you had a house the house can go to your beneficiaries, but you have a cottage that has increased in value substantially over the, 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 the life that you've had it. You have all this money. It shows as if your income is over $2 million that year, which means you're in the highest tax bracket possible. Wow. So when you go to pass that money on to your children or the cottage on to your adult children because they're not dependent on you, um, there is an estate tax, and it could be quite substantial. So this estate tax is paid when the last person passes away. I so see. An alternative to permanent insurance or whole life or um, different kinds of insurance is something called a joint last to die. So if the first person passes away, the, all the estate and the proceeds go to the um, surviving spouse tax-free. When the second person passes away, the estate tax is paid on the estate. So instead of the children doing it, the joint last to die policy you get an estimate of what it's going to cost you for your estate tax at time of death. And a joint last to die is there to pay the tax on the estate so the children don't have to do that. Wow. That takes some real, uh, you know, far-thinking people. I mean, you're, uh, you're looking ahead. You know that it's going to cost your kids uh, a ton once you pass on, once both parents pass on, and you leave all you leave your stuff to them. But... Not many people, I would suggest, uh, venture to go beyond that and say, well, we got to cover the tax associated with that transference, right? Uh, to, uh, yeah. And so this is, uh, this, is what you, this is what you give to your kids, isn't it? I mean, as a, as a real kind of a final gift, which is, you know, you don't have to worry yeah, about it's, this. It's, it's, yeah, it's not an inheritance. It's paying the tax, which is still kind of an inheritance because you're leaving them with money. And then, you know, the other question is, is, is how do we know what that number is going to be? And a lot of people don't plan on a state tax and buying a joint last to die policy when they're 25 years old. Uh, the, the most recent one I've sold to uh, two families in the situation where they bought a cottage about three years ago and they've, their kids are growing up and they're moved out and they're about 48, 49 years old now. And that's when now they're looking at a joint last to die. And, and what's really interesting about these and a lot of people don't understand is because the, the alternative to a joint last to die is a joint first to die. And okay. when we look at cost, any any insurance risk or any insurance policies, the premiums and the cost of that policy are all based on risk. So if you have a couple with a joint last to die, the first person passes away, the insurance company pays the face amount or the benefit of whatever the policy is. But the chances are that a policy that you're going to buy is going to be joint first to die you're going to pay on a policy well before you have a joint last to die. So the price gets a lot higher. So a joint last to die tends to be less expensive because it's based on the life of two people. 
but even if you go a step further, sometimes these policies are good when you have an estate tax. And some people think, well, my health isn't that great. The lucky thing with these policies is it's not based specifically on your health. So if you have a husband and a wife and one of them has um, some medical issues, the policy isn't strictly based on that person's health issues because there's a healthy spouse that's attached to it. And chances are that healthy spouse is going to outlive if they have zero um, medical issues longer. So in a lot of cases, some people that have health issues um, do qualify for getting this joint to die, joint last to die life insurance because it's actually covering the life of two people rather than one person. Okay. And I mean, in your view, does this sort of thing make sense or does it make sense for most, some people, Um, not others? uh, Yeah. So it's like anything. So, you know, we talk about financial planning and that's what a lot of uh, advisors do. They strictly do financial planning. And a lot of people think when the term financial planning is how much money do I need to save for retirement in order to retire fine? But the term that a lot of people don't think about is, is estate planning, which is something that, that, you know, I do financial planning, but I, I help people with their estate. And then there's tax planning where you, you go see an accountant. So we have all these different um, hats that people wear and accountants to wear their, their, their account hat. And then some financial planners actually wear two hats. They wear the financial planning hat and then they wear the estate planning hat. But a lot of people don't have an estate plan where we talk about certain things like this. And when, when I'm doing a, a plan for somebody's estate, we're in direct contact with their accountants as well because we have to talk about what would the capital gain be on the property that they own and stuff like that. So a lot of people don't have what I like to just call an estate plan um, where we forecast what that's going to be and, um, and and what they're going to need. So I, I do sell these quite frequently depending on every situation and every situation is different. Um, I don't have a second piece of property. I don't have a need for a, a joint last that I to cover estate tax on certain things as of yet. Um, but eventually that that may be the case. But for a lot of people that, you know, especially in Southern Ontario that have camps on Wasega Beach that they bought 30 years ago or a second rental property that they bought 30 years ago and now it's worth, you know, half a million to three quarters of a million dollars more or even higher than what it was worth, your estate tax on that property is going to be quite substantial. So if you want to leave it to your kids, my first piece of advice is talk to someone that specializes in estate planning, not just financial planning. But I guess if you wait too long, I mean, will insurers still um, give you that policy? I mean, if you're in your 60s or something. I... Well, so, you, yeah, you can get them in your 60s. They just, like any insurance, it costs more. The advantage of joint lacidize, it's one of the less expensive forms of permanent insurance. Um, but there's, there's some companies that have an age limit. Well, they all have an age limit. It's just a matter of, you know, how old you can be when you can buy one of these. Um, but, you know, buying one when you're 80 is definitely probably not going to be an option for you. Um, so it is something that, you know, when you're, most people start talking about their estate when they're in their like mid, like mid forties to early fifties. That's when they start thinking, wow, I plan for my retirement. I'm on my way. But what happens after I pass away? Cause you got to think, Mark, how many think, how many young people don't think they're invincible? They all think they're invincible when they're young and they don't think yeah. about what's going to happen when I pass away when your children become older and they become more independent and they're doing their own thing and they're buying their own house or they're, you know, they've moved away. That's when you start thinking, wow, what do I got to do? You know, what's going to happen when I pass away? I've planned for my retirement, but I don't know what happens to everything after. Like a lot of people don't even know that 
your final tax bill is based on everything as if you showed all your finance income of that year. A lot of people don't know that. No. Uh, so it doesn't seem right. fair, does it? You I mean, talk about that stuff. Man, no, it doesn't. I mean, <laughs> but it is It is what it is because where, where, where else is the money, the government going to claim that tax money on your, you know, on, on, the, on the year of death? Um, yeah. Uh, they, I, well, you keep so. hearing rumors of uh, taxes, uh, you know, estate taxes. Uh, I mean, you know, the, uh, the retirement, well, not retirement, but, you know, when you leave your money to somebody, that the government is going to get in there even deeper and uh, demand more of that yeah, money. And it's because you're at a high tax bracket. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, at, is... retire- at retirement, you, you could be bringing in fifty or 60000 a year, but if you have millions in, in, in assets on your final tax return, you're going to be based on, on the millions that you um, have as income that last year. I mean, do you have any recourse uh, if you're receiving the money and, uh, you know, mom and dad didn't have one of these and you do get stuck with a massive bill. I mean, I guess that the, then the, do the accountants get in there and say, well, you can do this and you can't, you can't do that. It gets a little harder, isn't it, I suppose, to deal well, with those. The simple answer is yeah. if, if, if the estate uh, saved the state taxes three quarters of a million dollars for, for a large estate, and they inherit a whole bunch of money. They just take the money out of their inheritance, and then they're out three quarters of a million dollars. Unfortunately, <laughs> wow, that could be left there. That yeah. would be so, that would. Suck. I mean, it could be smaller. Yeah, yeah. So that you know, either give the money to the government or give your money to the insurance company and let that the, the insurance company give the money to the government. <laughs> Pick your poison, eh? All right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jeff McGilvery. How do people get in touch with you? If they need some sound advice on this kind of stuff, insurance, or maybe financial planning, retirement planning. Uh, very easy. My website, askjeff.ca, G-E-O-F-F. I know it's the weird way of doing it, but askjeff.ca. And um, on there, fire me a message. Give me a call. I'm uh, all over the place. We can sit down and have a coffee. We can do uh, a house visit. You can come by the office, whatever you choose. All right. Great. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate that. Thank you. All right, let's uh, pack it in for another edition of the Mark Petrona Show. Appreciate you tuning in, my friends. Let's do it again soon, shall we? In the meantime, stay safe, be strong. Bye-bye for now. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.